0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message.
1: So today we are having a conversation with Tuff Harris. And as we were talking about this thread of a place of exile, your name came to mind because I've heard you share part of your story that you felt like an outsider with both natives and non-natives alike. So would you share with us a little bit about what what does that mean? What are you talking about? And a little bit of your story.
2: Yeah, so I I grew up on the Crow indian Reservation, half Native American, and my half side is Crow and Northern Cheyenne. And the other half was a mix of other things, um, non-native. And so for me growing up, my native side, historically, crows in Northern Cheyenne didn't really get, it, get along. Um, a lot of the non-tribal members, as well as, as natives on the reservation, there's, there's some tension there too. So, so growing up, uh, people would look at me and they would say, he's not, he's not native enough, or he's not white mm-hmm. enough, or he's not Northern Cheyenne, or he's not Crow. And, and so they never really fully adopted uh, me in that sense, um, and so that it caused a lot of tension in me growing up. And who am I? Identity was mm. was a struggle for me yeah. big time, in- including Christian. Christian, I was Christ- uh, identified as a Christian at a very young age, okay. and so that was another exile from yeah. from the groups that I was trying to be involved in. And so, um, just about every group I wanted to be a part of, and every kid wants to be accepted yep. just for who they are, but. Right.
1: Um, but again, I was never really enough in each category. Some of this started uh, with your journey even in football. Where did this all begin with beginning to, to understand, oh my gosh, I, I don't quite feel at home with these groups.
2: So as a kid, really trying to find that identity, I, I would gravitate towards sports because sports, the common denominator is if you're athletic, you yep. can play. It doesn't matter what. Right. Uh, you know what nationality, what what background, creed, any of that stuff. If you can, if you can shoot a basketball, if you can catch a football, like you're in, yep. you're on our team. Yep. And yep. so that for me was was something I, I really embraced, and I, I put a lot of effort and, and energy into because I knew that was one of the tickets to get in and be accepted. Yep. So I so I worked hard at it, and I utilized the gift that was given, athleticism and speed and uh, athletic ability to be able to to be accepted by these groups. But I was able to you know go to college, earn a degree, play four years. Um, as a starter and then had the opportunity to go play uh, for several NFL teams, which was a, a childhood dream. And, and for me, that was uh, just really a culmination of honoring the gift and doing the right things and making those decisions and staying with him.
1: You'd you mentioned a story uh, a few days ago about a fight that happened early on that helped you, that helped solidify this idea of not being home with yeah. the people group. Yep, Would you so mind sharing I, that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I, so my first day uh, on the reservation, So. I was born and raised on the reservation and for a time I, I lived off and it was, a, it was like a two year period as a child around uh, 12, 13 years old. But we ended up moving back to the reservation. One of the reservation schools, the first day I show up um, wearing cowboy boots, a brush popper shirt and a cowboy hat. And cause I also identified in that group as well as, as being a, a cowboy and rodeoing. And during recess they were playing football and I was like, hey, I'm a football player. Like, you know, can I play? And they kind of looked at me and looked at my boots and looked at me. and. Yeah, you can play, whatever. And they threw me a few passes, scored a few touchdowns. And right away, people were noticing that the gift, that this kid's athletic, you know, but but at the same time, he's different. He's not really a part of us. So uh, five or six of the kids got together. And I remember scoring a touchdown, running into the end zone. And all of a sudden I turn around and, and six of them are on top mm. of me. And they're just, they're just pummeling me, they're beating me up. And, and I just, I'm, I'm fending them off and thinking, what, what did I do? What's going on? And the bell rings and everybody runs in and I, I'm I'm laying there and I get up and dust myself off. And I look over at my buddy who uh, invited me to play and, and be a part. Um, he kind of looked at me with big eyes, like, what just happened? And I looked at him like, I don't know what, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what I did. I don't know why uh, that happened, but I, uh, you know, shortly attributed it to just being different, yeah. being different and not fully accepted.
1: Yeah. So shift that forward to today, to following Jesus and I would, Wanna ask you this question is is there a sense of home for you now in following Jesus where that that sense of exile has gone away or not having a home has gone away, or has that turned maybe your perspective has changed to where maybe you're not looking for the same idea of home. I started
2: having success in, in sports, and because of that, that coin flipped and all of a sudden every group was like, He's he's a part of us, he's sure. Northern Shine, he's crow, he's he's us, you know. And and I really uh I really struggled with that at first just saying, well, I, I don't know if I could trust people. Right. I don't know if I right. can actually let them uh, accept me for this for this uh, gift that I have. But I, I soon found out uh, just following Jesus and, and finding that you know, wherever I go, whatever I do, uh, it's not about trying to be accepted by people, but I, I am accepted, I already am. Hmm. And, and knowing that Christ has given that to me. And so now it's grown into a place where I actually use that uh, for his glory. I, I'm able to go into any group really, yeah. and, and just, you know, be different and be accepted um, for, for what he's given me. And that's his acceptance and his love. And now I'm able to share that. And yeah. and so that's that's been really powerful.
1: It reminds me of what Paul says, that he's, he has this quote in, in one of his letters, and he says, I will become all things to all men that some might know Jesus. And that's kind of what you're talking about, is that no matter what People group you're talking to, or what they might identify themselves with, you've kind of flipped this so that's no longer I don't belong in one, but now you're able to say almost I belong everywhere. Is that kind of what you're yeah. you're saying? You
2: know, a lot of times I, I've always said I feel like a bridge from culture yeah. to culture because yeah. of the gift uh, of just being different and and being uh, a mix culturally of so many different backgrounds, and because of that, I'm able to bridge. You know, yeah. relationships and connections together. And, and at times I, that scripture has been, you know, fleshed out in a real way for me that I have been able to become all things to all people w- when it's needed. And and so that acceptance now, I don't look at it and say, well, I, I don't know if I can trust you. I look at it and say, man, what a gift to be able to to bridge communities together, bridge people yeah. together to say we're all accepted. We're all in the same, same category of just being human and, and yep. needing love and
0: needing
1: acceptance. Yeah, yeah. that's beautiful. Well, tough, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today.
0: Yep, Thank you. So we're in a series where we're talking about the big threads that weave their way through the Bible. Um, and the hope is that we're all grasping the, the message of the Bible. One of these threads is not something comfortable. It's this whole idea of being exiled, uh, feeling left out. And I, I just appreciate Tuff talking to us from his perspective. By the way, Tuff is um, he's a partner of ours and he, he uh, runs One Heart Warrior Discipleship Program. And every year here on our campus, we have young men, young women from different tribes all over the United States who come and, and spend a nine month period with him as he invests in their lives. And, and it's profound, the changes that it have it's beautiful. But when you, when you hear tough talk about uh, feeling exiled, like I don't belong here and I don't belong here, and where do I belong? And what does it mean as a follower of Jesus? Am I part of something bigger, of course? So I think it's difficult for a lot of us to contemplate that idea of exile because we live in one of the more stable, secure places that you could live, right? We've never been abducted, taken, never been invaded. We've never had this sense of uh, our home is gone. But I think exile is bigger than geographic. It's bigger than people just moving around. Exile is this, I just define it this way, that there are places in our lives where we feel that our expectations would be that we're here, but we actually find ourselves over here. And this isn't where I ever thought I would be. This isn't what I ever thought I'd experience. This isn't what I thought life would be like. This can have to do with uh, marriages. It can have to do with careers. It can have to do with finances. It have to do with sickness. Like, I feel like I'm stuck in this place and I wanna be here. And we can spend years, decades of our lives feeling exiled, feeling alone, feeling like we're not in the right place. So this theme of exiles, it starts off really early in, in the Bible It begins actually in Genesis chapter three, where human beings, the, the story is this, is that we're all living as exiles in one way or another because we were meant to live in this amazing garden with God and be in harmony and peace, but human rebellion, results in the first exile. Adam and Eve are are, are pushed out. And so now they're living on the fringes. They were meant to live here, but they have to live here. And then their son kills their other son and he's pushed out even farther. So the story of exile becomes even deeper. The sense of I'm living somewhere that I wasn't meant to live. Now the Old Testament, is a major theme. Uh, We move on to the story of Joseph. Joseph is a young man who's a part of a dysfunctional family. So I bet some of us can relate to that. He's got all these brothers, but, and there's multiple moms involved. This is like, it's just messy. But his dad chooses him as his favorite and actually dresses him different so he stands out. He wears his coat of many colors. Well, his other brothers, like they're uncomfortable with this and, and they actually turn against him and they're planning on murdering him. But one of the brothers talks him out of it and says, let's just do this. Let's pretend like we killed him. We'll take his coat, the special coat that signifies his uniqueness. We'll soak it in blood. And what we'll actually do is we'll sell our brother into slavery to Egypt. So, I mean, what, what betrayal, right? Joseph is anticipating. He's had these dreams that he one day lead the clan, lead the family, but instead he ends up in Egypt as a slave and he works as a slave in a man named Potiphar's house for years, servant doing whatever he's told to do but he has to make a strategic decision what do you do when you're exiled what do you do when you're a slave and you thought you'd be a free person well he decides i might as well make the most of it i might as well do the best that i possibly can do and so he is elevated as a slave he's still a slave but he's running the house then his exile gets even deeper He's committed. Of a, he's accused of a crime that he did not commit, and now he's sent to prison. And in the prison, I mean, now you're, you're one step farther from where you thought you'd be, but he does the same. He says, I'm going to make the best of this. I'm going to apply myself. So he eventually is like one of the lead administrators in the prison, even though he's a prisoner. Well, all of that comes about, and eventually, because he just keeps engaging when he's in exile, he ends up, being second in command to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And there's, at the end of the book of Genesis, there's this amazing story that gives us perspective on exile. Joseph now dresses like an Egyptian. It's been decades of exile for him, but his brothers are experiencing a famine. So they come to Egypt and they don't recognize him. And Joseph sees them and there's all this angst because for him, there's pain in exile. This is that he ran out of the room and he just wept. But eventually he composes himself and he goes back to his brothers and he tells them, I'm your brother, the one you sold into slavery. I spent decades of my life as a slave and as a prisoner. But now here's his perspective. He says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And so there's this capacity that Joseph has where he looks at all the pain and the exile that he experiences, the imprisonment, the slavery. And he goes, I know my brother's meant to destroy my life, but somehow there is a God who is working. He worked when I was a slave. He was working in my life where I was a prisoner. I developed these administrative skills, and now I'm here, and he has the opportunity to save his brothers from a famine. So one of the lessons of exile from the Old Testament is we have to believe that even if I'm in exile somewhere I never planned to be, that God has not quit working. He's still doing things. Then there would be a guy named Daniel. Daniel is a young man, um, top of his class. And because he's top of his class, when the Babylonians invade, they take him and three of his friends. And historically, we know this. They castrate these young men. They indoctrinate them in the ways of the Babylonians. And they actually change Daniel's name. His name had to do with Yahweh, his Hebrew God. And they give him a new name, Belteshazzar, which has to do with one of the Babylonian gods. And he, what is he going to do? Like living in exile. Well, here's what he does. In the same way that Joseph did, he engages and he, he applies himself and he thrives. And he serves actually in different empires and under multiple different kings and here's one of the things that Daniel teaches us about living in exile. It would be something like this. They, they could change his name, but they could never change his identity. He knew who he was. Even though he spent his entire adult life in another realm, he never went home. So the story of exile continues. Soon it's, it's about all of Israel and Babylon. And Jeremiah, you could probably capture this, the book of Jeremiah. He's known as the weeping prophet, okay? So the people of Israel as a whole, not just Daniel, are in exile. And what does Jeremiah do? Well, he, he emotionally engages with the pain of exile. That's why they call him the weeping prophet. He's like, this is terrible. This is not what we wanted. We wanted to be independent. We wanted to have freedom, but now we're, we're controlled and we live in a foreign land. And Jeremiah then at the towards his, the end of his processing this exile for a whole nation, here's what he says. You could summarize it in this little phrase. Bloom wherever you're planted. So he looks at the exiles, the Jewish people now living in Babylon, and he says this. We live in exile, but let's go ahead and plant gardens. Let's start businesses. Let's raise families. Let's bloom. This is not where we thought we would be, but let's bloom where." We are planted. So this theme of exile weaves throughout the Old Testament. And then the term Babylon, which was a a literal kingdom, becomes a metaphor for all the places that human beings find themselves. I'm here, but I thought I'd be here. It means that you're living in your own little Babylon. So jump ahead to the New Testament. The apostle Paul, is writing to his friends. It's this young church in the city of Corinth. Corinth is a metropolitan city. It's one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire, and it's deeply spiritual. It's committed to the ancient Greek and Roman gods, but there's this core group of disciples of Jesus that are existing, and Paul writes them several letters. We read 1 Corinthians, we studied that last year, and in 2 Corinthians chapter five, which we'll look at in a moment, here's what Paul says to them. He says. I want you to learn how to live as exiles. And so here's how the believers, the followers of Jesus in Corinth were feeling. They've been a part of the Greek Roman culture. They're part of what happened in Corinth, but they've made this consequential fundamental switch in their lives where they said, now we're followers of Jesus. And here's part of what's happening. Do you know what? The people in Corinth called the followers of Jesus, they called them pagans, called them pagans because they had abandoned the ancient Greek and Roman gods and were now following someone that, Jesus, who is that? Who's that? And so the people in Corinth are beginning to feel ostracized and pushed out of society. They're feeling like exiles, even though they still live in Corinth. Some of them are experiencing rejection from their family. So their families are ostracizing them. Like you no longer follow the ancient ways and we don't wanna associate with you. This is deep pain of family splitting apart. There's business implications because there are certain people who are saying, now because you are a Christian pagan, we no longer will do business with you. So they're suffering financially because of their decision to follow Jesus. They're living in this exile and they're struggling. So what does Paul say to them? Because this is what I really want to get to is like, what do you do when you live in exile? Because I think all of us are currently in a form of exile or we will be in the near future where this is my reality. This is what I dreamed of. So am I just filled with sorrow and depression and regret? Or if people throughout the scriptures have dealt with exile, maybe there's some key lessons for me to deal with my own exile my own reality that is less than I anticipated. So this is what Paul writes to his friends in Corinth experiencing their own exile. Second Corinthians chapter five, we'll begin at verse 16. So from now on, it's a new start. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. So what's he getting at there? He's saying when you were just a part of typical Greco-Roman society, you lived in Corinth before you surrendered your life to Jesus, Here's how you saw people. You saw people as commodities. You saw people as competition. And you, you have this tendency to like love people that are like you, um, people that look different, speak different languages, people that offend you. What do you do? You get revenge. This is the old way of doing it. But he says now you're in a new reality and we don't regard people that way any longer. Because we follow the teachings of a Jesus who said, I want you to forgive, and I want you to love your enemies, and I want you to love people that speak different languages and have different tints to their skin. Like, this is a new reality. So we don't, we don't regard people the way we used to. Though we once, can we go back? We didn't quite finish. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We have this brand new perspective on who Jesus Christ is. So, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. We just got to pause there for a moment. This is a phrase that Paul uses often in Christ. He says, when you're in Christ, you're new. So Paul often describes a relationship with Jesus this way. Okay, this this piece of paper represents us, represents you individually. He says, there's something extraordinary that happens when we surrender our life to Jesus, that you're in him. So imagine this Bible represents Jesus. You're in him, the old you, all your mistakes, all your aspirations for the future. You're now in Christ and you have this brand new identity and reality that you are now a part of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, when that happened, when you became in Jesus Christ, you became a new creation. You achieved A new identity. God granted you a new reality. The new creation has come and the old, okay, the the old way of thinking, the old way of dealing with people, the old way of being selfish, the old ways of revenge, the old ways of whatever it might be, the old has gone. This new identity actually eliminates the old you. The new is here. All this is from God. So it's his gift. It's not something you earn. Who reconciled us. So he's gonna use this word, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Can we leave that on the screen for a moment? So the word reconcile, what does that mean? It means it was often used as an accounting term in the first century, is that there are two things that are far apart. Okay, so in counting, it would be my expenses and my income are way apart, right? Or it had to do with relations. There's two things. So he's saying, God made you a new creation. And what he did in making you a new creation is he took where you were and where God is and he brought them together. When you're in Christ, you have been brought into harmony. The differences have been reconciled. And then he says, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So as exiles living in a world that isn't quite your home, he is giving you, and please personalize this, because people often ask, like, hey, I just want to figure out what my ministry is. I can tell you what one aspect of your ministry is. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation, helping people be reconciled to God, helping people be reconciled to one another part of what you do as an exile. He goes on. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. What a beautiful phrase. As he reconciles us to God, when you are in him, your sins no longer count against you. And he has committed to us, he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We're going to have to explore that word because Paul throws out to these people living in Corinth who feel out of place. He says, you are actually ambassador as though God were making his appeal through us. So what do you do when you're living in your own exile where what you expected and your current reality don't match up? Let's walk through this. First, you just have to know who you are, right? That's very, very important. And then you have this new gift, this new ministry. Here's four points for all of us who live in a world that doesn't quite seem right, where there's injustice and there's pain and there's values that we don't always appreciate. The first thing that Paul says is this, is you're in, but you're not of. You're in, but you're not of. So you're in this world right? He does not tell the people in Corinth, here's what I want you to do. I want you to move to the outskirts of Corinth, and I want you to build some sort of compound, and we're just people who look like you, think like you, and people who love Jesus, where you can live together, and you keep everybody else at bay. This is not. I want you to keep living in Corinth. I want you to continue to engage. However, however, you're not of. You're in but you're different because you've been given this new identity. So how does this work out in today's world? Um, Students, so university, high school, junior high, whatever it is, if you're in a public school, you're in, right, you go to that school, but you encounter things and you think, this seems so contrary to how I understand Jesus wants the world to operate. There's a certain set of values and there's ways that we diminish one another in this culture. So what do you do? He says, you're in it, right? You don't wanna escape, but you're not of it. You're not a part of it. If you're in business or the neighborhood you live in, you're in that neighborhood. I don't want you to try some form of escapism, but it's not your identity. You're not of it. So you're in, but you're not Here's the second thing that he says. He says, you have to remember when you're living as an exile who you are. You are a new creation. Now, not all of us feel new, okay? Some of us are aging, and we feel less new. You rolled your eyes, yes, I think we're probably the same age. You rolled your eyes, right, because you're like, I don't feel new. I woke up this morning, pop, creak, right? Here's the beauty. Here's the beauty, spiritually Jesus makes people new. He takes all of the old and he gets rid of it. And he says, find yourself in me and you are a new creation. And so when I'm in the midst of, if it's Corinth, if it's Babylon, whatever you wanna call it, you're like, I am here geographically in the same place. I'm here, this is not where I anticipated being. But I have to remember this, it's not the same me here. I'm a brand new person. Jesus has made me new, redeemed me, given me a second chance. I have hope, I have joy, and my geographic context has never changed. I have been made new. Identity is absolutely essential. And here's the third thing. We're told to be an emissary of the king and bring the kingdom. So just imagine the audacity of what Paul tells his friends in Corinth who are called pagans and they're being ostracized and pushed to the side. Instead of stepping back, he says, I want you to remember who you are. You're made new. God's made you new. And he says, I actually want you to be ambassadors. I don't want you to take up the ministry of reconciliation. Now ambassadors, that's a big term, right? Um, I don't know a lot about ambassadors, maybe you do, but here's what they do. They represent an entire kingdom or an entire culture or a government organization. So you live in a place that's not your own and you build an embassy, right? And you, you live in or near this embassy and this embassy is an outpost for your kingdom, for your people. And so you represent a cultural ethic. You represent a context to a foreign group of people. And and this is what Paul says. He says, I want the followers of Jesus who live in all different types of exiles to think of themselves as ambassadors, that you represent a king. You speak On his behalf, and his name is King Jesus. I had a, some of you have heard this story, but I think it's worth telling a second time. I had like a fascinating experience, my first true embassy experience. A few years back, my wife and son, my daughter and son in law, not my wife, my daughter and son in law were married in Germany. So Jenny and I went back to Germany for the wedding and we had to take a train, and we're gonna fly out of Paris to get back here, and we're trying to hustle back to one of our son's graduations from a a school, a military school, and I don't know how it happened. I'm a careful, conscientious traveler. I have my bag, we're riding a train to the airport. I even have on my nerdy travel pants with a zipper to keep everything safe. Somehow on this packed train, I get off the train at the airport, and everything is gone passport, driver's license, credit card, cash. Like I have no proof of who I am. So I can't get on the plane. My wife hands me all the cash that she has and she takes off to be with my son. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? I felt like like Jason Bourne. Like I got woke up and I have, like, I do not know who I am. So the only thing I can do is I've got to find the American embassy, but I have so little cash. I walk like six miles to get the embassy and I'm, as time is passing, I'm kind of freaking out. I'm like, how do I get home? Like, I, I don't know what to do. So I show up with my, I got a travel pack and I show up at the American embassy and I think I sounded completely pathetic to the guards. I'm like, I'm an American citizen. I'm just trying to get home and I don't have any proof of who I am. And the guy looks at me and the only thing he says is, you can't bring your luggage in with you. I'm like, well, what do I do with my luggage? This is no joke. He looked at me, he goes, A few miles down the road is the Mexican embassy. They'll take your luggage. Okay, so I walk a few miles down the road and I knock on the Mexican embassy's door. The guy answers, they're super cooperative. They take my luggage and then they said, wear this. And it's a chain with a big plastic holder with the Mexican flag in it. And he said, wear this around your neck and do not take it off no matter what. So now I'm walking back to the American embassy with the Mexican flag hanging from my neck, massive, and, 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 and like the same thing, and the guy's like, okay, come on in. So then you set up an interview with the ambassador, okay? Or his representatives. And the first question, because they're trying to prove who you actually are. So the first question they ask me is this, what was the maiden name of your maternal great-grandmother? And I'm like, I don't even know who she was. like. <laughs> My maternal great-grandmother, what was her maiden name? I'm like, I I don't know. And he just looks at me like, "Mm." (laughs) you are not who you say you are. Fortunately, hours and hours and hours later, the questions got easier and I was issued a temporary passport. I had to go to an embassy and I had to deal with the authority of an ambassador, right? Because the ambassador represented the government and the place that I'm tied to. Here's what Paul says. I want you, living in your exiles in an imperfect world, where your expectations haven't always been met, I want you to live as an outpost, a representative empowered as king, of King Jesus. I want you to do his work. I want you to bring his kingdom into these situations, into the schools and the offices and the neighborhoods. Live as ambassadors. And then he says this final thing, you have to keep looking forward. You have to keep looking forward. So if you feel like you're in your own exile, right? One of the, one of the temptations is that I just look at the reality, like this is unfair. Can you imagine how, how often Joseph must've like sat in prison thought, this is not fair. This, this shouldn't happen to me. Why do bad things happen to good people? How many times did Daniel ask that? How many people did, times did the people of Israel ask that? You can stay there and you need to grieve it. I understand that. But eventually, here's what, here's what you have to do. You have to look forward. You have to have hope. You have to believe that one day God is gonna come and he's gonna rectify. He's gonna take everything that is wrong and make it right. Look at the songs that were written during the travesty of American slavery. The songs weren't about yesterday. You know what the songs were about? Those old spirituals? They're about the future. A day somewhere out there where everything that is wrong would eventually be made right. And when you're living in a place of exile, you have to have hope that there is a God who will one day come and bring it all back together and make it new. But in the meantime, in the meantime, understand that you are in, but you're not of. I think think this world should always feel a bit uncomfortable for the followers of Jesus. Have you ever been to a, another culture where you felt uncomfortable? Um, I've been around, because of what we did, uh, a, a lot of friends from Japan, but the first time I went to Japan, I, 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 I like violated so many social boundaries. I didn't understand. I just didn't understand. So I remember the first time I was in somebody's house, there was a sweet older lady and she offered me tea and I'm like, yes, please. And my host was like, no, I don't want tea. And then she offered me again and I'm like, no, I don't want tea. And my host is like, good job. The third time she offered it to me is like, yes. I'm like, yes, I do want tea. I didn't know like in customary Japanese culture, if somebody offers you something, you have to refuse it twice. If you accept it the first time or the second time, you are rude. And the third time you can say yes. And the first I was in somebody's Japanese home and I understood like you take your shoes off at the door, but I didn't understand that there are special slippers to only be worn into the bathroom and they never come out of the bathroom. So I come tromping out on my bare feet and they're like, ah, you know, like germ pollutant man bringing germs. I'm like, I didn't know. I didn't know when your slippers were this big. I couldn't get my feet in them anyway. Like it was just time after time. I never felt quite at home. I, I wonder if the follower of Jesus just never feels quite at home because you're part of a different kingdom. But we don't retreat, we're in but not of. We remember who we are. We do not let our circumstances define us. We engage and we function as ambassadors We bring a new kingdom to the world, to the place, to the context where we live. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.